Hello and welcome to Season 3 of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident. The theme for Season 3 is better. Better everything, from AI to being fairer, big ideas to body language, if it's important to being a fairer person, business or planet, an expert and I talked about it. What follows is an edited recording, as Mouthwash is a live show created just for Twitter spaces, so the quality is more conference call than podcast sound booth. Sponsors are really important to me, so please take a moment to visit Ecology. They planted a tree in the TBD forest for every live listener we had. And if you want to offset your carbon footprint, you can do that easily. Just nip to ecology.com forward slash TBD conference and sign up. That's E-C-O-L-O-G-I dot com forward slash TBD conference. Also, I was honoured to partner with and test out Spaces Dashboard, the helpful tool that's making it super easy to find great audio on Twitter. Check them out on Twitter at Spaces Dashboard, all one word, and mount from Mouthwash for a surprise. Mouthwash is the audio show of TBD, the conference that people call TED without the bullshit. It's going hybrid March 31st, 2022. So get your tickets for the in-person event or the global live stream at universe.com forward slash TBD conference. Universe.com forward slash TBD conference. Use the code Mouthwash. You'll even get 25% off every ticket you buy. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Sign up to the newsletter on my Twitter profile. That's Paul underscore underscore Armstrong. And you'll get informed about all future seasons of Mouthwash. Trust me, you'll want to hear what we have coming up. Finally, as with all good podcasts, please share it on a network you trust. Enjoy the show. All right, we are live with season three of Mouthwash. Fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident. Monday to Friday with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator of TBD Conference. The conference, attendees say, is like TED without the BS. Uh, it's a strange time around the world. Zoom fatigue, climate change, the great resignation, and of course the mighty metaverse. Uh, a lot seems scary, unfamiliar, and people are rethinking from core beliefs to the way they work. Um, one thing that is emerging seems to be a desire to improve everything and make things, including themselves, better. So that's the theme for season three. Better. Better everything. From AI to PR, body language to open innovation. I'm speaking with massive brains and execs from Twitter to Walmart to Babylon and to lots of people in between about making you and the world we live in a better place. Season three includes best-selling authors, security experts, speech coaches, Silicon Valley startups who want to reverse the aging process. It's a mixed bunch and that's why I love it. It's going to be a great season. Make sure you get the SMS reminders so you don't. Okay, let's get on with the show today. Uh, Today's smart cookie is futurist and polymath Ada Paris from fresh from her TEDx stint in uh, Amsterdam. Welcome to the show Ada, how are you doing? Good afternoon. Hello. I'm well. I'm well. Afternoon. It's evening uh, where we uh, are, even though we're technically in the audio space. It's so it could be anytime. somewhere, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Before I chat more with Ada, uh, let's talk about where we are and how you can get involved. Uh, Twitter space is still new to a lot of people, so let's explore it a bit. Um, we should all be on the mobile app, although you can listen on desktop. You just can't interact. Um, the top bit's called the Nest. That's where you can see the tweet up there at the moment. And it's where I or any speaker can put tweets so you can have a discussion around tweets, which we will be doing later in a section we call Desert Island Tweets. Uh, you can click through, follow accounts, um, check links, all of that sort of stuff. It's very handy 
handy, a unique feature to Twitter Spaces, but lots of people are desperately trying to copy it. Um, you can have speakers in any one space, um, including the host, and you can request the mic in any space, bottom left-hand corner. It looks like a microphone. Um, we tend to be more of a show fam- format here because obviously we're recording live on Twitter Spaces, but it will be made into a podcast. Um, so use the hashtag show or DM me and I'll do my best to weave in the questions as we go through the show. Um, click the three dots on the app if you need captions or any other accessibility features. They're all there. Twitter's baking them in from day one, so they're very, very focused on you. Uh, check also the heart with the plus. That's where the emojis are hidden, and I'm going to be asking you to use that shortly. Do me a quick favour, though. Just share out the space. So if you go at the top, click the um, tweet that's there at the moment and just retweet that out to the millions that I'm sure follow you. That would be great. Um, the reason for that is not just because of mine and Ada's egos. Um, actually, the beautiful people at Ecology are giving us a tree in the TBD forest for every live um, listener that we get in on Twitter Spaces. So that's pretty good. Um, Ecology, in case you don't know, all about sort of... Uh, planting trees it's sort of a subscription for the planet really um so yeah so please retweet the space take a bit of time to do that um if you do want to sign up to ecology you can just nip over to ecology.com e-c-o-l-o-g-i.com we're basically trying to reduce half the world's emissions by 2040 through collective action so you can be a part of that you are being a part of that right now so definitely do it but if you want your own forest you can definitely do it highly recommend it uh that's the thing um, we are also uh, being sponsored by Spaces Dashboard. That's the company that's helping good audio be found everywhere. They provide a fast, easy way to see all the latest live and upcoming and past conversations on Twitter Spaces. Really super handy if you're just starting out, you want to see what other people are doing or find something interesting that you're into. Very, very handy. Um, really does help you find good audio any time of day. Um, you can also try it for yourselves. If you nip over to Spaces Dashboard or one word on Twitter, you'll get yourself an invite just by following them and mentioning Hat Mouthwash. So Okie doke. On with the show. Time to shower Ada in a stunning amount of emojis. So grab your, um, what is it, heart plus button and start pounding it furiously. Pick whichever ones you want. Uh, the more the better. And don't stop until I've finished, okay? All right. Ready, steady, go. When it comes to inspiring people or those that affect real change, my mind always goes to Ada. Uh, Not just a futurist, TED fellow and prolific speaker, Ada's chair of Mental Health First Aid England, and she's changing things from the inside at the top of businesses around the UK and around the globe. Her work sits at the intersection of ancient wisdom mixed with indigenous practices and emerging technologies, where she developed the critically acclaimed framework called Cyborg Shamanism. Ada has worked with huge companies from uh, Unilever to Google, uh, Ogilvy, and the very cool kids at Burn man. Recently named one of the most influential women in UK technology, she's a champion for inclusion and representation. Ada's an artist also in her own right, and she's the only person ever to do a full twirl on the TBD stage thus far. Uh, thank you for joining us, Ada. What was the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, what was the first thing I thought of? Oh, actually meditation. Yeah, I needed a meditation. My head was full, and so I... Um, used an app. I was looking for a particular type of vipassana type meditation. Oh, very cool. Are you a, are you a transcendental, or are you just like nope? I just need to be chilled and do some chants, or what are you? Um, it depends. It depends on what I need. So this morning, I just needed my head to be still, and so I went to vipassana. Ah, it's probably a, I, we, you and I need to have a chat about that. But I, I need to just, I need to decide whether I'm going to do TM or not. I, I've read about about it. It seems like one of those things that everybody should do. But I'm still I don't know. I need I need somebody who's done it to be like, oh yeah yeah yeah, you'd get a lot from that. But anyway, um, talk to me about the last twenty four months. How have they been for you? Intense. 
<laughs> I love that sound. <laughs> no, I don't have a horse here with me. That was me. <laughs> um, it's been intense. I so I am immunocompromised, and so it meant that I had to shield. So I spent a lot of the time at home. So can, are you getting feedback? No, I'm all good. I'm getting a bit of feedback. Um, I had to spend a lot of the time at shielding. Um, and what that meant is that I couldn't go outside my front door. I, you know, so that was quite, um, and I learned a lot about resilience. I learned a lot about patience, which I didn't think I had. Um, but also I lost a lot of work at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and so I just decided that rather than see it as a lockdown or restriction, I was going to see it as a time of metamorphosis where I was going into a cocoon and I was going to be still and look at what, what was needed outside of the, you know, outside of my bubble. Um, and then work started to, you know, things started to change and it feels like the pandemic as devastating as it is also made space for people to want to do and see and think differently. And so work that I'd been doing for the last seven years around cyborg shamanism came into fruition and more people were open to, you know, the, the idea of normal, a lot of people realised was broken and so people were ready for something different. And mm. so it's been exciting and intense and exhausting and all of the emotions. <laughs> Good. Uh, right, OK. We, I, we, today is to talk about digital shamanism, but... <laughs> I, we don't because we're transparency yeah. but give us a 30 second elevator pitch on what it is because it's so fascinating and people should read up on it um cyborg shamanism is a philosophy and framework that i developed over the last uh, seven years i use the word cyborg to get us to think about what does it and could it mean to be human and shamanism i use it with reverence and humility to ask us uh, to look and explore our relationship with other and so the question that i tend to uh, we my co-founder Marcus and I use when we're talking about this is what type of ancestor do you want to be? And the approach to that is that in order to be better ancestors, we need new measures of success that take into consideration all of life, not just human life. A good elevator pitch. I like that. Okay, right. We're going to talk about trust and transparency yes. today. Uh, it's a staple when it comes to power and influence over others. How do you define trust, though? What are the key elements? Um, it's funny when, you know, thinking about this show and joining Youth Foundation, the word ego kept came, coming up because... <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. But, but, well, because I think that we don't always recognise when our ego comes into things, you know, that the... And it influences our decisions about who we trust and how we trust and, you know, the relationships that we build. And so trust is a bit like the word, in many ways, it's a bit like the word belonging. We all have an idea of what it is and we want, we talk about, we want to trust and we want belonging. But how many of us actually spend time to really work through what that means? So I'm currently in a process of trying to really define what each of those mean for me, not just in, in not just intellectually but what does it feel like to trust somebody and that is being able to be in a space where I can be 
myself unapologetically myself and that I see recognize myself in the other and that they recognize themselves in me that um it's in reciprocity without ego you know it's all it's a lot of things it's, it's quite a complex idea that I'm still working through but in terms of the where we are in the world right now um it's come it's it's bubbled to the surface because there is a lack of trust in people in processes in governments in how we you know in how we communicate and contact and and are in relationship with other and i think that what's happened is that we have got to a space where we're all asking ourselves some big questions who am i what's important to me Who's important to me? And I think that's where we start to really unpick what trust means to each of us. Yes, I 100% agree. Um, you've, you've segued nicely into my first, my second question. Um, the last 24 months has obviously challenged people's trust when it comes to media, politicians, health, uh, even each other. Um, I, I'm seeing a lot of it in the workplace or people are telling me, you know, oh, I went back and this hasn't changed and that sort of stuff. When it comes to the future of trust, do you think the pandemic has done lasting damage to these systems collectives people or can trust be regained quickly the pandemic hasn't done anything to it i think it's us that's done the done damage the pandemic is isn't a sentient being it's, it's like when people say technology is bad you know it, it's us and our egos and our relationship with these things so we have in many ways we have seen the um the resurgence of hyper-local communities. So we've gone from citizens of the world to citizens of town, of, you know, our country to our town, to our local, you know, however, you know, smaller area. And we recognise, you know, people use the language, we're all in this together, or, you know, the the um, Zulu philosophy of Ubuntu, I am because we are. So we realise that we can't get through this on our own. And so we've had to trust more people. So people have gone from not wanting to share their mobile numbers with people to suddenly everybody's on a WhatsApp group with their neighbours. And that, you know, that because the motivation has changed. And so the relationship with trust has changed. And so, you know, there's that. But then on the other side, you have governments and politicians and people in power making decisions um, that you question their motivation, the true motivation behind that. And that brings a lack of trust. So I think that, you know, these things are a pendulum. They're swinging around, you know, and that on one hand, there is more trust because we've had to, because we've had to find a way of surviving together. On the other, when it comes to the big systemic things, I think there's a lack of trust. Yeah, I definitely feel like there's been some systems knocked. I guess it's a good time to bring in the Edelman Trust, yeah. um, which is uh, created by a PR firm uh, and they do primary research around um, the theme of trust. Um, the latest one highlighted just how badly people don't know where to get reliable information from, um, which is a massive issue for an informed and progressive society, I think we can say. Yeah. How do you think we fix this? Um, how do we get more people reading quality news sources? Um, I think people need to be curious more. I think that's that's where some of it starts. That you know, I've always been 
a child who asks why and then ask why and ask why should I believe the people who tell me that this is the answer. Um, and we have got to a place where information is, we, we are consuming information at such a pace and it's bite-sized that we are saturated with information coming at us from all angles that people are so busy now. It's just, I want it now rather than taking the time sometimes to really go, well, okay, so why is somebody telling me this? Because that's what we used to do, right? When somebody would come to you and tell you something, you go, well, why, why, why now? Where's that? Where did that information come from? And then we'd go and we'd go to the library and we'd go wherever to go and look at it. Whereas now it's, oh yeah, so I've seen it on this platform. I've seen it on social media. I've, I've seen it in this news. So it must be, I'm just going to share it rather than taking the time to be curious about who and the what and the why and the where and all of those things. I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because you've got, on the one hand, the, the skill critical thinking, which according to the World Economic Forum is going to be one of the main things that you need coming into 2025, 2030. But don't teach it in schools. We've it's not like a class or anything like that. How much of an impact do you think curriculum? impacts trust as a society oh completely i mean i i believe that many of the education system the formal the the um the most recognized education systems in most of these so-called progressive countries has not changed you know i mean here it hasn't changed what really in over 300 years yeah it's crazy it's you know, we, and I was talking about this with someone the other day, that we have an education system, uh, primarily an education system that is about maintaining the status quo, maintaining the narratives of the global minority and maintaining the narratives and the, the structures of um, a particular way of being. And so an education system is designed to maintain that, to make, keep the wheels of progress going, so-called progress going, keep the hamster wheel of capitalism going in its current form and current guise. And so people are taught that ways of maintaining that and that this, you know, the North Star that we should all be aiming for is this, rather than understanding our relationship that we are only human or recognize our humanity in relation to other and that other doesn't have to be another human we you know we talk about at the moment people are talking about economic recovery but how can we have economic recovery if we don't have a planet so we need to have different measures of success that then mean that our education system will be different because it's focused on in that our most basic need is survival of the planet, of survival of everything and everybody. And I think that will start to change things. There are educational you know, schools that are, are doing things differently. Um, but for the mainstay, it's the same. And then what happens is, and I worked, I used to work in a big, uh, very big educational establishment, very well-known one. And... You, you end up with systems that are competing against each other for status, um, you know, for educational rankings. That what are the what is what are the measures of success that those rankings are based on? Not on how 
happy people are, not on how much people reach their own potential, not on how the impact that we have on climate change. They're measured on these arbitrary things that keep these whole cycles going. It's interesting. We were talking with um, Michael Baskar um, earlier on in the season um, about big ideas. And he said similar sorts of things that like we are not seeing the big thinkers come through because they are not encouraged to. They're ridiculed and that sort of stuff. I think um, technology has a real sort of part to play in that. Um, Online discourse is a hot topic right now. Misinformation to trolling rife on most platforms. Um, How much of a role do you think big tech platforms have in shaping how we come to trust? Should that even be their role? I mean, they're there already, right? So it's not, I I think that sometimes maybe, and I have been known to disagree myself mid-conversation, mid-sentence, but that that we are already in a place where big tech companies um, are shaping the way our relationship with trust, our relationship with other, and that... I don't believe that that's how it should be. Um, How we unpick ourselves from that and how how we unpackage that, I don't know. But I do think that we are in a very... um, it's, It's quite a dangerous place to be because, you know, corporations having as... I mean, it's a difficult one. I'm, the way, why I'm struggling is because corporations are having as much power, if not more power, than governments. And but then I'm struggling with how governments have been. A lot of governments have been running anyhow. So we're in this rock and a hard place of two big powers giving us, shaping us, and creating boundaries and creating measures of success and creating narratives that. Um, that dictate the who, what, where, when and how of our own identities, of our measures of success, of our relationships, of our ability to trust, because we can't necessarily see what's happening behind closed, behind the walled gardens or behind closed doors and how the algorithms work. You know, we know the language of algorithm, we know the word, but actually the intentionality behind it, the, you know, how a tweak here is i mean all of it is puppeteering right because we we've got to a place where you know moving this string over here will move that limb over there but we may not necessarily see it because it's happening behind closed doors and i think that it's 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 it is unsettling um and it is something that I am increasingly concerned about, especially when we start to talk about going into metaverses and spaces where the, we are more reliant on digital technology than on face-to-face human interaction. You know, looking someone in, in their eyes and, you know, being in that same space. I really hope that we don't lose that. Oh, I agree. We've, we've spoken about it multiple times this season as well, in different um, factions and different areas. Um, I think the metaverse is certainly going to be one thing that you're going to be talking about for a number of years, isn't it? Yeah. Um, based on your work. 
just sticking with Meta or Facebook, whichever one you prefer, um, they've suffered, suffered multiple whistleblowers recently, documents leaking out, unprecedented rates, not just Facebook, but other companies. Um, let's talk about businesses, how they build trust within their organizations, because that's, you know, we are, we're a capitalist society, at least we are in parts of the world, you know, but we're all trying to not be more capitalist, and how successful is uh, anyone's guess at the moment, but I don't think we're doing as well as we can. Um, how do you think businesses... Um, should really be thinking about trust because really the people are the ones that can shine a light on injustices that happen, right? Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, stop talking about businesses as though they're machines. They're not. They are made up of humans um, and that operating in silos means that there's always going to be secrecy behind closed doors rather than recognising that businesses are living systems and every in every you know, every they're all interconnected and interconnected, and that every everything you do in one aspect of it. If you're doing digital transformation in an organisation, you should also be talking about mental health and well-being of your staff. You should also be talking about climate change. All of those things should be mm. in the one conversation. And I think that that is part of the problem. Um, that there's so much secrecy um, and secrecy and you know that thing when people say to you oh i'm doing it for your own good well who who made them the decision you know the decision makers of that I and mean, we're in a time and space now where everybody feels that they have a right and that what even that word i think that, that what one of my, my one of my closest friends is a human rights barrister and we have conversations about the use of the word right that people feel that they understand what it is but they don't and so we end up in this space of people talking about this is my right to understand it and this is my right to have my voice, my opinions and all of these things. Um, but what we're doing is we are creating uh, more, so we're creating, I think what we're doing is in many ways, we, te technology is, be, is being used to scale, has been, it's not the primary motivation, but it has been used to scale distrust. And whether that's conscious or subconsciously, I think that that's what's happening sometimes. Yeah, I, th I think that's interesting. I think there's a there's an argument to be said that you've got competitive advantage on one hand. Yeah. Um, you know that you know we, we have the secret source and no one else must know the secret source. Uh, and then there's also the very opposite, which is the open side of like, yeah, we're working on the next thing. You can you can know this thing that we've already done, you know, and that sort of thing. And I don't think we've got that balance. I don't think startups have that balance particularly well. I don't think big companies have that at all well. Governments certainly don't. It's a real interesting sort of collection of different types of organisms, to use a different word, um, that are sort of creating a different uh, level of trust and distrust in various various elements. Um, I think, uh, who was it? Oh, it was um, Kenneth Arrow. He's a Nobel Prize winning economist. He said, virtually every commercial transaction has within itself an element of trust. I think okay. businesses... Say again? Yeah, completely. Yeah. Um, I think businesses struggle with that because they often, not lord over that they've got something that you want, but it's often, you know, feels a bit grabby and a bit grubby sometimes. How can um, organisations, businesses, people help trust those transactions, if that makes sense? What should they be focusing on? God, those are big questions. Um, 
It's eight o'clock. Come on. <laughs> what should they be focusing on? Um, organizations have a duty of care to the mental health and well-being of the people who work for them, with them. They would not have a business without them. And so, you know, this is what do I want to say? Um, I feel that if more organisations reflected the people who they are trying to work with, they're trying to, their end users, their customers, their, you know, the diversity of thought, the diversity of understanding, the diversity of lived experience, I think that we would be, I, I think and I hope that we would be in a different position. Because if we only have a certain particular perspective, a certain level of educational attainment on a certain level of way of being, of understanding, of relating, of privilege, then we're only ever going to get more of the same. And so in order to get something different, in order to start to build trust, we have to build we have to build empathy and compassion into our organizations in order to then be able to trust, to 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 have that difference. Because one of the things that I've I've said recently is that this pandemic has made more people realize, remember and realize that the I in diversity and inclusion doesn't go far enough. People want to belong. They don't just want to be included. And when you create cultures of belonging, people trust more. Inclusion can just, you know, people can go as far, can say we're creating an inclusive society, and that is actually just a tick box. Right, well, we've done our quotas, so that's it. We don't have to do anything else. But actually, if you create cultures and maintain cultures and nurture cultures of belonging that are fluid and organic and that represent the lives and everything of people who, um, of the people that you're trying to represent, then and without, can I just say, without making, trying to make the business case for diversity, because diversity is just a given fact. We would not exist without diversity. Our bodies would not exist without diversity. That is a fact. Everything else is choice. And so if we are trying to build trust, we also need to make the choices so that we bring all of this in so that we can operate in very different ways and we can have new levels of trust and transparency and empathy and compassion and all the things that we need. We need businesses to be more human but not human centered I, I move away from human centered design because that still puts us as humans at the center of everything i think that we need to make sure that what we're designing we we recognize the impacts of the and the ripples that we of the things that we're creating and putting out into the world and part of that is about trusting our relationship with ourselves and with others yeah, I think your point there about the pandemic and culture, I, I honestly think the pandemics had one major effect for a lot of people or ramification. They have realised they don't have a culture. They have a collection of people that come to a place to do a job to get a paycheck. 
And culture, that's not that. That's not culture, right? That's just literally paying people to do jobs. And I think when you start to see, you know, Zoom Fridays and all of these sorts of things come up, people haven't yet sat back and thought, what does my business look like when people aren't physically in a space together? How do I get people to give a shit, to use a, a, a phrase, um, about each other when literally they can't stand to be on another Zoom and that sort of stuff. I, but, I think, but that's what I mean about curiosity. We shouldn't just be curious about the next market share or the next technology or the next the next thing. You know, so many people have got the title futurist. I've actually stopped using the title futurist for myself because I think that there's so many people that are using that title as if we've got some kind of crystal ball. I have now started saying that I'm a nowist because if we don't make sure that we've got stuff sorted now, we're not going to have a future. Oh, I love that. I didn't know you were using Nowist. Yeah. I'm going to start yeah. uh, I'm going to start referring that. And also, I'm going to call you by your proper name, which is Ada, right? Yes, thank you. I can't believe I got that wrong for so many years. I've, 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 um, I've corrected you before, but you did, and so that's why I messaged Oh, did I? Oh, God, sorry, that's even worse right. than you corrected me before. <laughs> Apologies, and a public apology on podcasts yeah. to be written for an item as well. Um, let's talk a bit about the second one, transformation. Um, yeah. We're seeing, actually, no, one more question about trust. We're seeing more and more calls, I think, to go back to the office, um, patriarchy, patriarchy. Um, do you have, no, uh, more surveillance texts being bought, I think, used by companies. I think it's up 150% year over year. Um, it goes the other way, I think, as well. So it's not just people and business trusting, but bosses, I think, trusting their employees more, right? Because yeah. I think that's being driven from a top-down perspective for a lot of companies. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of companies that said that people should can't work from home, but that was all about trust. But they didn't trust people to work from home. But when the motivation became, actually, we don't want to die and we don't want to spread this, then people suddenly could trust. And so mm, tiny things. Sorry? tiny things yeah but but it shows that you know the mo it shows that there was a lack of trust and it shows that there was this you know vice-like grip on on other people's lives and the way that other people interacted or could potentially interact and now actually by seeing by enabling people not enabling by um allow for the for the purposes of the pandemic allowing people to work from home encouraging people to work from home what has happened and you know this understanding of oh crap you're human and maybe giving you the freedom to choose that actually if you're a morning person you get up early and you work really early and then you have some lunch you know or if you are you you need to have a lie-in but allowing people to choose to be more flexible in the way that they work from home because they are trying to maintain and manage their own mental health and well-being, people recognising that we're human and we're messy and we're complex and people work in very different ways has actually shown, I, I did see the numbers somewhere, but has shown that, it, that productivity went up because people felt... They could exhale. They felt that there wasn't always somebody watching over their shoulder. They felt that actually recognising that sometimes you need thinking space or sometimes you need to be able to do things in a slightly different way. Yes, of course, it's a business and you need to make sure that there are, you know, you're meeting your business goals or you're achieving those. But just treating people like humans rather than machines or numbers or, you know, 
capital. I hate the language of human capital. Oh, yeah. That's I horrible. I hate that language. And I hate is a big word, but I actually do because it takes, strips the humanity out of it. And it just sees people as numbers and processes and ways of achieving KPIs and those hard numbers. I, I agree. I, I think if it, it come, the pandemic's come down to a point where it's going, what, and a bit like your ancestors, what type of ancestor do you want to be? What type of business do you want to be? You know, it's like, why did you guess? If you're creating a better something for someone, surely you should focus on that someone that's doing it, right? And also the people that are creating your some things and that sort of stuff. Well, I'm really fascinated when it comes down to why people don't trust each other at work. It's like, you chose to work there. Have, have, why aren't you working on those relationships? And why aren't they being spotted as issues that are going to cause you problems down the line? Well, I mean, what, what tends to happen in, in businesses, and I'm generalising quite broadly here, is that we employ people, you know, people come for interviews and they'll have their CVs and you talk to them and you go, oh, you're a great person, you're lovely, and I love the fact that you've got these side, you know, these uh, side helping, what have you, and then you get them into your organisations and you just work, 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 work them and strip them away and don't leave people with, give people enough time and space to do the things that make them who they are. And then you end up having somebody in your business who you don't recognize because that's not who you employed because you've pulled you stripped that away from them and they don't recognize themselves either because they don't have the time to do the things that made them who they were that's why i love businesses i think it's um st luke's the agency who i don't know if they still do it but i always remember when i used to work in advertising hearing this and i loved it that what they would do is every employee would get 150 pounds to spend on doing something to nurture themselves. And then, but when you spent that money, you would then come back into the agency and see about what you've learned about yourself. And that's beautiful because that's a way of getting people to just remember that you're human and this is who you are and these are the things that make you, you know, that we need to step away from the desk and the spreadsheets and all of the stuff to be able to get a different perspective. Otherwise, we end up with tunnel vision. And then that brings with itself a way of interacting with each other that is about lack of trust because everybody's just focused on, I need to get this done. I don't have time to think about anything else. And it's that that anything else. Could it be like maybe a better way, maybe a cheaper way, maybe a more efficient way, or all of that, you know, there can be other things as well. Maybe you're missing a massive idea and that's the thing by not talking yeah. to X, Y, and Z. Those are the bits which I try and uh, push towards clients that I work with and that sort of stuff, who are also focused on the bottom line, I'll be honest. You know, everyone is. They've got to make money yeah, to so employ people. But it's not, I always say, it's not one or the other. You can have both, you know, and that sort of thing. But, um, but yeah. Um, right, let's talk about transparency for a bit. Um, it's the key to trust when it comes to health information, um, but conflicting messaging and poor choices, you know, let's be honest, by leaderships around the world seems to be hindering how we're dealing with the pandemic. Um, how would you advise governments to build trust in their future plans? Ooh. <laughs> um. be bold <laughs> okay well then i would probably say that they just need to dismantle and reconstruct what government and parliament and politics is oh i like okay. brass tacks how do we do that physically mentally how do we do it um I, we we need to get 
everybody, people to recognise that every make is a political one. It, from the water, you know, the brand of water that you choose to, you know, everything that you do, there has been a political mandate, a policy or something that is part of that. And by recognising that everything that we do, everything that we purchase, everything that we consume is, is all linked to politics, that um, we have more power than we think. Because all of that is about religion. I used to think that it was about money, but even money is about relationships. It's about, our, you know, the big problems that we have in society, racism, climate change, gender, pay gap, all of these things is all, I, I feel that the common thread in all of them is about our perception of value. And our perception of that, and when one side recognises that the perception of value is going to change the status quo, that they're just going to change something for them, that's when we the walls go up and there's less transparency. Oh, that's interesting. I like that. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, taking that from... Let, let's talk about... You mentioned pay gap. Let's talk about wage transparency for a bit. Only a few companies, I think, put out public lists of how much people get paid. They tend to be usually startups, I'm finding. Yeah. Do you think that's going to become more popular or is it always set to be shrouded in secrecy? I think there's always going to be a level of secrecy because it means that somebody's going to have to give something up. But isn't that to the point that you mentioned earlier, where it's it's sort of like we have to admit that we're all the you know we're all the same people, we've got the same bones and all of that sort of stuff, and some people will be paid more because they've got extra skills or they did something differently and now they're something different and that's the thing. But shouldn't it? Shouldn't we just ex- is isn't that what we have to accept that people are different or is is that unrealistic? I know, but we, I, th- I think we do accept that people are different. I think that, it, but there is not a lack of money in the world. It, it's about there's an imbalance in how money is distributed and how it's made yeah. and how it is how it is rewarded and you know it, it's like that. There's not any. There is not a lack of money. There's a lack. It's the one percent of the one percent. It's poorly distributed. There's not a lack of resources and food. And so that's why I get quite angry when um, we then talk about when what we when people talk about it. We need to curb population growth because what they're doing is they're talking about a particular subset of society. Yeah, And so it becomes the rhetoric of this is how we need to change things by stopping people from having lots of children rather than recognising that actually having so much money that you can't even comprehend what that looks like or that you have, um, you know, it's, I just find, you can hear, I just find it very frustrating that that's where we're at still yeah and uh, to be honest i don't think it's in my lifetime and your lifetime i don't think we're going to see a massive shift in that belief until but i mean i do have hope in gen z they do see money differently and they have different there's a i think that we have a problem with i'm and i'm still learning about this but i do feel that we have a problem with philanthropy that that is, um, in many ways, is still based on a model of somebody's 
ego saying this is what I feel that I'm going to put money into. And I, you know, so I read something the other day saying that um, can, can Elon can Elon Musk's billions save uh, eradicate poverty? Now it puts him on a pedestal that he would be the savior of the world. There's an alternative model that I'm starting to understand and starting to look into, which is around effective altruism, which is about recognizing where the money is, where there is a greater need, and that this money and society and things are worked towards that, rather than it being one person's decision of, I'm going to do this, I'm going to put my money into this because I have a personal relationship with that. And I feel that that's the way to go. You know, it, it because it, it changes what that actually means. I said I said it the other day in a talk that if you are um if you say that you're a feminist because you have a wife and a daughter and, you know, sisters and mother and all of that, you're not really a feminist because what you're doing is you're talking about how it impacts you. You should be a feminist because it's the right thing to do, regardless of who it impacts. Not just it only affects me. I will only do it because of that's how it impacts my life, and I want to make a better world for my children. Well, that's still ego. That's still selfish. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. It was really interesting when I saw the Elon thing because um, you a part of you that goes like, "Great, we're going to solve that, or at least go some way to sort of do it." But then the other thing, when you do actually think more about it and sort of go, "Oh God, it had to be him," and all of that sort of stuff, and the way he's done it is very gauche and all of that sort of stuff. And I'm not 100 percent sure he's going to get the answers that he needs and that sort of thing. But um, I always remember, and I think we said this when I was chatting with Brad Stone in a previous um, season, um, there is a Twitter feed set up with, has Jeff Bezos cured world hunger today? And every day it just tweets the same answer of no, he hasn't decided and that sort of stuff. But we do have these massively rich people. And it's not just those two, they're just the most popular. They're actually people, a couple of rich uh, richer but in different ways um in various parts of the world but they don't get as much airtime obviously because they're not you know great somebody asked me the other day what a futurist is and i said there's i just referred them to an article in the boston chronicle i think it was 2016 that said it's it's called the article was titled know thy futurist and what it talks about is the fact that you can you can kind of categorize people who call themselves futurists by what they invest in so those who invest in those and it, it talks about those billionaires invest in um cryogenics or getting us off the planet are all focused on saving themselves rather than saving the planet because it's stuff that only the, that one percent of the one percent could could afford to be a part of rather than saying, actually, what we need is we need to make sure that there is a planet, rather than, well, let's all build bunkers or get ourselves off of here. Or let's yeah. get a way to upload my brain to the, you know, to, to, the, to the cloud, so that when the planet is destroyed, at least I'm still around. Is that the ultimate transparency, when we upload our brains to the metaverse and we're all whizzing around, so, you know, looking at each other in virtual forms that we imagine? Is that the ultimate transparency? Hmm. Oof, I hope not. Gosh. Can you imagine uploading your whole brain? Well, there's a TV show about it, isn't it, called Upload? Yeah. Um, where you upload your whole brain, don't you? And then you can do various things. But you know what? I think the part of that is because most, and again, it's a big general, like most people in society are afraid of death. 
if we had a yeah. relationship with death, we wouldn't be worried about uploading ourselves to any kind of cloud or anything like that because, you know, death is a part of who we are and it's a part of life. And we spend, from the moment we're born, most of us are worried about, you know, I've got to get all, I've got to cram all this stuff in before I die. Well, we never know when that's going to happen. I think death's a really interesting one. It was It's um, a topic I was going to potentially cover um, for better death, but we changed it to um, better ageing as well, to be a bit more positive. And that's like, um, but yeah, that's yeah, but tomorrow, what? actually, so if people want to do it. But why not, why not just talk about death instead of better ageing? It's the same thing, right? I mean, it's it's a road to it, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm 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 fascinated with aging because I'm like, why why does everybody want to live longer if the world's not going to be here or it's going to be terrible and that sort of stuff? I'm, I'm, people keep saying to me like, oh, it's going to be great. We'll, will we live longer? We're like, what? So you can't remember if someone's wiped you or not because your Alzheimer's isn't cured yet. It's like it's not. We have to like fix real interesting problems. I think that we we get on the road to death. You know, I'm I'm fascinated with uploading brains and that sort of stuff to. Um, well, could be a metaverse, could be something completely different, but it'd be interesting to see, I think, the options, you know? Do you really think that that's possible? What, uploading brain to the internet? Yeah. Yeah, I think it will be eventually. It's definitely not right now, but, I mean, it's one of those things. It's like the brain's a ridiculously complex, um, not muscle, but organism, not an organism either. What is it? The brain is a... Well, let's just say thing. Uh, I'm sure there's a name and someone will correct me uh, in the DMs, but... Um, okay, so there's not that's consciousness organ it's an organ isn't it but what about consciousness then so ah well brand new thing that's a brand new series i think right there but uh, no it's i agree i agree i don't you can upload all the information in your brain does that mean that's my personality as well no you would need other information wouldn't you and other you know ways of doing it but technically it's all in there you know like what synapses and that's sort of thing. yeah my my eyes and ears and nose and mouth are all responding to external stimuli and that sort of thing but the way i would respond to that probably is in there right so it needs it needs coding and encoding and all of that but yeah i don't know i think i just i really want to talk to someone who's doing that but they don't they they don't say anything Neuralink or anything like that very fascinating company but um yeah all behind closed doors so but very interesting i just surprised you um i've forgotten his name his surname but he um is working on the working on the death of death that we have a right to live to extend our lives and live forever. Oh, who was that? Um, I can't remember the name, but I, I can connect you because I feel, you know, it, that brings up so many different things for me, you know, into, especially in terms of intergenerational relationships. We, we're a society that we need to have intergenerational relationships. And if you're saying that everybody has a right to live forever, then how does that change our relationship with others? But I will connect you once we're offline. I'll connect you. Oh yes, please. No, I would love that. Um, right. Okay. We've had too much fun talking. Cut <laughs> straight slightly, as always. We've strayed well, slightly off tangent. topic. Exactly. I love a tangent. Why not? Um, but let's uh, end on your desert island tweet. Uh, that is the part of mouthwash where you pick a tweet or two that has changed uh, your mind in some way of thinking. Uh, you turn your attention to the nest. You'll be able to see a video that's playing. Um, Tez, um, and you can follow him at Tez Elias, T-E-Z-I-L-Y-A-S, uh, or Z if you're in uh, the UK. I'm getting all American all of a sudden, aren't I? Um, so yeah, so um, the tweet has a hashtag, very simple, you clap for me now. Ada, why did you pick this? Tell us about the video. 
So the video um, came out April 2020 and it shows um, refugees, uh, people who are who, people who have been refugees or immigrants to this country. Um, and it shows their, this is so in the height of the pandemic and it's for me as a reference to clapping for the key workers in the NHS and this video shows um, how many of those key workers and people who hold our society together are are immigrants or the the children of immigrants and migrants and and it just very simple very very strong message but I think that there was so much that came up for me when I saw this because people who were previously called low-skill workers suddenly became key workers. It was a whole rebranding piece, became key workers because mm. of society. We could not exist. We could not survive without them. And what did we do to reward them, to recognise them? We clapped. And so I understand it as, you know, you clap for me now, but it also was this thing of, God, are we still at this place that, we recognise the value of the contribution. In in many ways, we recognise the, the value of the contribution to society of us. I will include myself in that. You know, my parents came over. I was born here, but my parents came over in the 60s and worked, you know, very hard, you know. But the contribution is still undervalued and devalued if all we're going to do as a society to recognise that contribution is clap. Yeah, it's got to be more than that. Yeah. It's got to be. And we've got to force the government to do more, I think. I think that's... I want to do another season on um, something to do with, like, activism, power that people have, and that sort of thing. I haven't yet got to the crux of, like, why isn't change happening... James Ball, who was Pulitzer Prize winner, we had him on season two, he was telling us about the political system and why we're not going to see fast change, but we can see change. Mm -hmm. It's because of the way it's set up with not just peers, but also how people can get into government. It's not really for most people, you know. So that was my response to your question earlier. You know, mm. that's why I took a pause because, I went, well, actually, what I would say is dismantle the whole thing and rebuild it. Yeah. I, God, we need, to, I need another hour with you. Um, I, I really do. Um, but we have to leave it there because we're going to cut it off. But we're going to have after hours for the live space. Obviously, the podcast is one hour, and that's the thing. But I can't thank you enough um, for being part of Mouthwash. Ada. Uh, any final thoughts or advice to listeners when it comes to better trust or transparency? Um, I think understand what belonging. It will take some time to really understand what belonging means to you. Because I think that that is where we can start to understand how we can trust ourselves and how we can trust others. Because we have to trust ourselves as well. You know, there's so many people that oh no, I, no, I'm not sure. We we need to recognise that trust starts in ourselves first before anybody else. Oh, I love that. It's a beautiful uh, place to leave. Okay, um, I've got an amazing cohort of people this season on Mouthwash. Big tech, entrepreneurs, designers, speechwriters, best-selling authors, everyone. Uh, it's important to be a better person. It's our planet. We're going to be talking about it. 
Uh, up next is CEO for Humanity, Peter Ward. We're going to be talking about aging better, uh, fast becoming Silicon Valley royalty, thanks to investors that include the CEO of Calm. Humanity's wowed TBD crowds, uh, so I thought it's only right to see where they are now. So come back uh, and see us next time. Uh, get an SMS as well if you want. Just head over to mouthwash.norby.live and you will get pinged uh, when we go live so you never miss a moment. Uh, once again, my thanks to the superb Ada Paris. Uh, follow her on Twitter at Ada Paris, all one word, or check out the website adaparis.com. And you spell that A-D-A-H-P-A-R-R-I-S.com. Once again, please show your appreciation one more time as the shower of emoji with Ada uh, finds us with a lo-fi music playing us out. Thank you for joining. Thanks to Ecology for planting a tree for every one of you. And thanks to Spaces Dashboard for helping good audio be found. I've been Paul Armstrong. This has been Mouthwash. Fresh chat that leaves you more confident only on Twitter Spaces. Thank <laughs> you.